Hey everybody, welcome back to the Lucky Dog Podcast. Today we are interviewing an individual who has been in contact with Ted Bundy back in, I believe, the mid-70s. Mrs. Smith, hello. Hi, Hi, I'm Kim Smith. Thank you for joining the Lucky Dog Podcast today, Ms. Smith. Um, How are you doing? I'm doing real well. It's excellent to have you, uh, especially especially today. You know, we we have some pretty interesting topics to discuss, especially uh, revolving the new Ted Bundy tapes. Um, could you tell me just a little bit about yourself, just back in the '70s? What was what was going on? Um, were you aware of this individual? Well, in the 70s, I was a college girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I was attending school in the Midwest. And um, at that time, I wasn't at all aware of Ted Bundy because uh, it was uh, the period of time, you know, 1970 to 1972, 73. Uh, and at that point, no one knew who Ted Bundy was. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, was it on the West Coast, East Coast, uh or I, I believe he was oh, it, in a couple it different. Was in, it was in the Midwest. Midwest, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was before anyone really knew about um, anything he had he, he had committed. Had had do you know if he had done anything by that time? Well, um, when I read about him later, you know, many years later, mm-hmm. uh, it was my understanding that um, he was being tried for crimes that he committed in the period of mid-70s, 1973 to 1978, uh, more around the period of 1975. And my encounter with Ted Bundy was earlier than that. It was 1971. But in reading about him, it was my understanding that um, they suspected that Ted Bundy had committed uh, many murders, uh, in addition to the ones in the period that I just referenced, and that he mm-hmm. had committed numerous murders earlier, you know, in the late '60s, early '70s, when he was traveling around various parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, it was, unfortunately, eye-opening through the uh, the Netflix documentary that they showed the irresponsibility of the the, the police force. Um, that I think really did not help, um, you know, help the community, you know, come together. But I do think the one thing about this case, if anything, they really did bring uh, DNA evidence became became really uh, substantial during these cases. Were, were you aware of that? Uh, to a certain degree, yes. Uh, it was my understanding that they had... Um uh, found DNA evidence in um, uh, in in regard to earlier cases that uh, you know that that they were able to uncover evidence that indicated that he, as I said, he had committed more than the murders that he was being tried for. Right. It 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 was uh, it was shocking and eye opening just from the perspective of I had no idea almost in the late 80s that we didn't have some of the most uh, high-tech technology that keeps crime off the streets today was, you know, formed almost just then. Um, 
But uh, so he had not been caught by this time, by the time you had uh, come in contact. Um, do you mind uh, kind of walking through the, the, the interaction with me? Sure. Thank you. Um, I, I think um, I might start out, though, with um, that moment uh, when I uh, had the realization that I'd had this encounter with Ted Bundy. I mean, you have to remember that in 1971, I had this encounter, but it was on campus. And uh, since, you know, no one knew who he was, mm-hmm. um, it was years later uh, that I remembered this particular incident. And it was really, it was in the late 80s. It mm-hmm. was right, right after, I think it was right after his execution. And I was reading uh, the book uh, by Ann Rule, The Stranger Beside Me. Mm-hmm. And my whole background, my academic background is, is in psychology and sociology. And, and behavior has always fascinated me, um, uh, so-called normal behavior mm-hmm. and, de- and, and deviant behavior. And um, I became interested in reading that book because uh, I understood that you know she had actually uh, worked on a suicide prevention line with Ted Bundy as a volunteer. And the stranger beside me references uh, the guy who sat beside her taking uh, calls from people who were suicidal. And uh, their role was to talk these people off the ledge and, and counsel them, which is rather ironic when you think of what Ted had done mm-hmm. and that he was in that role. So I really wanted to read that book. And I was reading the book, and it was very in-depth uh, in describing uh, his background and how he would uh, approach his victims. Mm-hmm. And um, all of a sudden, I started reading uh, the types of things that he did to lure uh, his victims, the prototype of the uh, young women that he uh, targeted, and where he was when he was traveling around, you know, geographically, mm-hmm. and a, a very, very vivid memory of an experience that I had had probably at that point almost 20 years before uh, came back to me uh, very profoundly. And also seeing pictures of him, uh, you know, in his younger days, which would have been during that time, matched exactly um, the guy that I had run into on on my campus. And so um, I'll tell you what occurred. I was uh, uh, attending classes uh, on this Midwestern campus, which was an urban campus and a campus that was located uh, very near a... uh, interstate that um, was an east-west major interstate that uh, if you were traveling along that interstate there was a large sign that directed you to this this university's campus and I know that that Ted Bundy in traveling around in the midwest you know would you know eventually return to the northwest where where he lived and so I can imagine that this could have been a route that he would have been on I was uh, attending classes uh, in this building, and one day um, our professor dismissed the class a little earlier, probably five minutes before most of the other classes were being let out. And uh, on that particular day, uh, I was alone in that classroom, uh, not alone, uh, but um, I, I usually attended with a friend, and she was not there that day. So when I was coming down the steps, to the first floor, mm-hmm. the lobby of that building, I was by myself. 
and because it was uh, before classes let out, there was nobody in the lobby except this guy uh, who was leaning against the radiator, uh, books on the radiator, and he had crutches, a crutch. And I was coming down the stairs, and he looked very, very out of place to me. And, you know, this was 1971, and you know, people on campus always wore jeans. Mm-hmm. You know, all the guys had long hair. Uh, the girls had long hair. It was sort of a, you know, that 70s hippie look. Right. This guy was a little older, uh, extremely clean cut, had a razor cut, and was wearing a madras shirt. And chinos, and I looked at him, and I thought, well, you know, what's this guy doing here? He looks like he's a little older. You know, maybe he looks like somebody who would be a night school, you know, student, and mm-hmm. would would be working during the day. And he he really looks out of place because you know nobody dresses like that here. He just really looked odd to me. Mm-hmm. And as I was coming down the stairs. He, he waved to me and waved me over and said, uh, excuse me, excuse me, could you help me? And I looked at him and thought, well, you know, what kind of help do you need? And he said, I, uh, I'm having problems, you know, I'm, I'm on a crutch here, and I'm having problems carrying uh, my books, and I was wondering if you could help me, if you could help me carry my books to my car. And I remember thinking, I don't really want to do this. You know, don't you have a friend who can help you? And, you know, and because on our campus, that just didn't happen. People had friends. If they, you know, if they had a, an issue like, you know, a cast or a sling or something, they would have classmates and friends who would be available to help them. And mm-hmm. I thought about it. I was, I was hesitant. And then I thought, well, all right. You know, I mean, my, my parents always taught me you know, to help people when they made a request, particularly if, you know, they looked like they were in trouble or they, you know, were handicapped in some way. And he said, my car is just parked very near here. And he gestured to an area uh, not too far from this building. And he said, if you could just help me get to my car. So I said, okay. And um, we walked outside the building and I remember he was, he was friendly, kind of, kind of chatty. And, and I was being Attent- I was carrying his books and I was being an- and mine and I was being mm-hmm. attentive to him going down the steps um, of this building and when we got down to the, the bottom of the steps outside I said oh um, uh, you know my friend uh, takes classes in this building right here next next to us and you know and I always meet him after this class so I you know I'm gonna wait here for a few minutes and if you don't mind until he comes well I have to tell you his demeanor changed instantly and he went from being friendly to being absolutely ice cold um he was angry and i thought what is with this guy you know i it it was a laid-back time everybody was you know friendly Mm -hmm. you know if you were doing something like that and particularly if somebody was helping you you would say oh okay you know sure fine Mm -hmm. uh but but he was quite angry i could tell his jaw was set uh he looked uh mad and so my friend came out and joined us and i said to my friend well i'm this i'm going to help this guy go to his car because you know he's on crutches and and he said sure i'll go with you well ted at that point i think realizing that his plan was foiled was very angry did not speak to us 
and we're walking along, you know, across, you know, the, the grounds towards this parking area, mm-hmm. which was maybe, oh, I'd say probably two blocks or so. Um, and he stopped speaking. And I remember looking at him and thinking, you know, you're really a strange guy. You are very weird. And uh, we walked to his car, um, and he very hurriedly, and, and by the way, it was a Volkswagen Beetle. And we walked to his car, and he was just, he couldn't get away from us fast enough. He was very abrupt. He was rude. And he just took his books and, you know, situated himself in the car and was, goodbye. And so we kind of, my friend and I thought, well, you know, it's a really strange guy. Mm-hmm. Well, when I put all that together, you know, when I was reading the, you know, the book, and I understood that he often did this on college campuses. He would pretend like he had a broken arm or he was, you know, had crutches. And I, I also saw pictures of him around that time. And it was very clear to me that the guy that I encountered was Ted Bundy when I saw photographs of him, even photographs of him wearing the same Madras shirt that he was wearing when I encountered him on campus. And Really? Uh, yeah, it, and it, it was shocking to me. I, I, it was such a vivid, strong memory that you know just came rushing back to me, and I thought, oh my God, you know, I had an encounter with Ted Bundy. If my friend had not met me that day and I had walked to the car alone with him, I don't know what would have happened. I mean, he, uh, and he could have been targeting me. He could have been following me mm-hmm. on the campus, understanding where I had classes, waiting for me. Um, I looked like his victims. I had long, dark hair, parted mm-hmm. down the middle. And uh, that was the type of, of girl he stalked. So that that's how I realized that, you know, I'd had this near miss. That is an incredible story. Do you probably remember exactly where you were? When when all of this, uh, I guess, came to came to be, or you realized when it who was who, who he was. Um, well, when I realized who he was, <laughs> I was reading this book alone um, in a friend's house, um, her in a, in a friend's vacation home, and she had not arrived yet, and it was night, and I, I was this is my bedtime reading, <laughs> and, and I just thought oh my god um it was it was quite chilling and of course I thought well you know it what would have happened obviously you know it it would have it would have would not have turned out well and I I remember my father who had been in law enforcement earlier in his career always used to say to me never get into a stranger's car Mm -hmm. and he he would give me lots of advice you know as a father of a young girl to do and um i think about i think about the heartbreak for my parents if i had gone missing Mm. from the campus and i had become one of his victims it uh it's it's un it's almost unspeakable the the things that he um he did but um did you know that he had a a a, a tumor in his no. uh, it no, um I didn't know that. in the documentary um uh, 
I'm going to give, I guess, quote unquote, spoilers for uh, the documentary on the Netflix show. Um, some people are, you know, like to go watch that first or something like that. But um, we do find out in the documentary, he was diagnosed with, uh, it, I think he, it took several uh, diagnoses, but eventually he was diagnosed with a tumor in, in his brain and uh, also bipolar disorder. Um, by, I don't know, some psychologist, but it took a very long time for them to actually, um, diagnose him with anything. Um, do you, do you have any ideas to why they wouldn't have tested him sooner? I mean, he, uh, from the footage they showed of him in the courtroom, he seemed extremely, um, uh, intelligent and coherent. And, uh, apparently a test, uh, he had passed several, uh, test that showed that he was sane, but it it took a very long time for anyone to even uh, remotely give him some sort of medical test, I guess, you know? Well, you know, I think that, it, to, to your point, um, he was very sophisticated, very intelligent, mm-hmm. um, educated, a law student. Um, he presented, I, I think as he matured, when, when I my encounter with him, um, he was... I would say pretty nerdy right. at that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, as he, as years went on and, you know, of course his, his trial dragged on, mm-hmm. you know, the whole situation dragged on for years. I think that people focused so much on the horror of his crimes and then the mystique of Ted Bundy being so intelligent and educated and preppy and clean cut and his whole image that I don't, I don't think that people considered, you know, that, you know, I can't speak, you know, to the medical community or the, or the, uh, the legal community, mm-hmm. but I think that there was great distraction from the kind of an examination that you're talking about, you know, in terms of a medical test. I think uh, people viewed him as as someone who was probably criminally insane, even though um, the psychologist said otherwise. I think that's what people wanted to believe because his crimes were so heinous. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My girlfriend watched the documentary with me. And I, I wanted to get her uh, perspective just from a, a, a physical perspective to see if she thought that he was attractive. She personally does not think he's attractive. Was Would you say that he came off as a clean-cut, quote-unquote, uh, you know, attractive guy that I guess some people would find interesting? Because they, they, they cast someone like Zac Efron in the new movie based off of him, the extremely wicked and shockingly um, evil and vile. Um, so obviously someone in Hollywood thought he looked okay, so they would, they would cast him. Would you? What would you say? Well, I'll start with my impression when I uh, met him. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, he was uh, kind of skinny and... Um, had, his hair was way too short at the time, and he was—he had very uh, hawk-like features, and um, he had the darkest eyes I have ever seen on a human being. And uh, his eyes were black, 
you know, I remember looking up at him as I was walking with him. And of course, you know, he was furious. Uh, so, you know, his eyes would be dark anyway, but they were so dark. I could not distinguish his iris from his pupil. They were the blackest eyes I've ever looked at. I did not find this person I was walking next to attractive in the least. Now, I will say that over, and that was 1971, mm-hmm. um, by the 80s, I think he had filled out. I think that he had matured more physically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, he uh, presented, uh, he leveraged that charming aspect of, of his personality and, and, you know, the, what was considered to be his good looks, I think to the fullest. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, he became glamorous, um, in a very, uh, dark way. Uh, so I would say that, you know, the more mature Ted Bundy was, I would say objectively better looking than the younger Ted Bundy. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I will say that, um, I think that, uh, he was way, way overrated, and I think that it was, um, you know, that he became glamorous because of the way he conducted himself through the all of the proceedings and his his um, incredibly uh, inauthentic, phoning, overly confident charm and interactions, uh, his arrogance, his uh, whole persona. I think led certain people who would find that image attractive to say that, you know, Ted Bundy was hot, which is what they're saying. And go ahead. No, I, it's, it's my understanding. This whole, um, topic with Netflix, you know, has, you know, Netflix has issued a statement, you know, Ted Bundy, stop saying Ted Bundy is hot. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's some bizarre focus on his attractiveness. Well, it's if they're going to say that, that's it's almost like you know, go watch the show. You know, um, it's if they have to say, you know, stop saying it's hot. But although our documentary is directed by the same director who's making the biography um, with Zac Efron, it's kind of a double-edged sword. I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um. Obviously, I think Hollywood is trying to sell the quote-unquote sex appeal of of the story, if there is something like that. Do you, do you agree with that? I mean, it's undoubtedly he definitely used his, uh, you know, his, uh, his quote-unquote looks to, you know, to, to talk to people, to, to get into the, the, the graces of people. But do you, do you think they should use Zac Efron, you know, one of, you know, if you think you know, Zac Efron's a good-looking, handsome guy, is, is he a good casting? Would you Is this someone you would cast in, in this role? Or would you look for someone a little bit more darker? Or would you not, it, personally, would you rather just not have it done at all? Well, um, I think Zac Efron is, is a very attractive guy. I think he's played roles that have been uh, much, much lighter than this role. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it an unusual uh, choice because of the types of roles that he's played and also because of his image. He has always had sort of a boyish kind of uh, um, cute look about him. And uh, I think that there have been other uh, movies about 
Ted Bundy that you know have used other uh, stars with with different features and different bills and have not been the, the prior ones haven't been so much the focus on the good looking guy and I think that this particular uh, film is coming out and and I really don't know that much about it but I think that you know th- they're probably trying to play a different angle on the story mm-hmm. than what's been um, portrayed in the past mm-hmm. so I think that the choice of Zac Efron is to try to present this uh, very good looking very sexy very charming very preppy kind of guy uh, in in that light and as far as my personal opinion of it I you know, I I understand you know that Hollywood um, makes decisions around things that uh, are based on uh, box office draw, and um, you know casting someone who is going to portray um, a, a, a real life person in a facet that they want to highlight. And I think they want to in this particular film. It sounds to me like they want to highlight Ted Bundy's. Uh, sexual appeal. Yes, most most definitely. I my my only thing about making um, this type of media is it it I I think it somewhat glorifies the individual a little bit. But if I I personally believe if they show the key to how to to recognize the, the signs of someone this you know this crazy, I guess. You know, maybe it could it could help people for when if this were to ever, quote unquote, happen again um, with if look for the signs kind of thing. You know, it's like don't just sexualize it. Don't just show it. But I guess I I think the movie is going to be from the girlfriend's point of view. So I that's what I'm kind of hoping. You know, I don't want to just see him, you know, go through these terrible acts, if you know what I mean. Does that does that make sense? Um, I think that, you know, if they did a movie that, you know, recounted the, you know, the, the gory details and showed the, you know, the, the horror and the gore of what he did, um, I think that we've had enough of that, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this may be, you know, a different kind of presentation, as you said, from the perspective of his girlfriend, uh, which I think could be helpful, as you pointed out, that, uh, this type of personality, this ultra charming personality, can fool people, and that's a classic psychopath. Um, that you know, a good-looking person um, who you know is very personable, very friendly, uh, who has a, a, a so-called loving relationship with you, um, could also be a cold-blooded killer. Mm. <laughs> and and I I think that that's probably the um, the message in this movie, you know, I, as I said, I don't know that much about it, but it sounds like it could be, you know, this is, this is the kind of person you have to watch out for. The, the one thing about the documentary that was really eye opening for the, the, the 20 questions that were asked, I would say 10 were answered. One thing that really stood out to me was how open everyone was to just talking to this guy. As soon as he walked into the courtroom, I don't know if you've seen any footage. He was essentially running the courtroom is, is what it felt like. I mean, he was representing himself. Um, Mm -hmm. His defense team was sitting down half the time. 
it was incredible how they were treating this guy after all of the terrible stuff he had he had he had done, and everyone knew about it. And uh, it, it it blew my mind how the uh, when they were giving him his sentencing to the the first court date or not the first court it was a. I think it was the ending of the first court. I think he was sentenced to, a, I don't know, like lifetime the first time, and then he had to do court another time. The first judge said, you could have been on my, uh, you know, you could be working my, in my courtroom or something like that, you know? he He's like, you could have been the guy I could have got a, a beer with. And I feel like there is this big split of uh, pers- persona when it comes to to Ted Bundy, there's this 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 charming quote unquote boyish nice guy that's I, I guess charismatic on one level, but then there's this whole other person, this monster that is still very much in the dark. And I feel like even with the documentary, and I'm not sure with this new movie, but I still feel like I don't really understand a whole a whole lot of it. Well, I you know I've I've heard um, you know the comments that that you've just made, you know particularly uh, what the judge said, uh, I, I'm recalling that now when I was reading about the trial years ago, and um, I, it's almost because he he was not the stereotype, the prototype of your typical criminal. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a, a good-looking, middle-class guy, educated, intelligent, um, personable, um, people didn't really want to believe how horrible he was. And my take on it is that, uh, to your point of how he ran the courtroom, uh, that was a real shame. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, the, that the system would cave to this with him, uh, to, that, he, that, the, that the system would... The legal system would allow him to be a celebrity and would allow him that kind of control in that environment is astounding. It, 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 it was, I was like, why is this guy not in shackles? Why is he, you know, running the courtroom? It, 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 he had the freshest suits and they said he had no money. I didn't understand. There were so many, like I said, there's a lot of questions to, uh, that I still have after this documentary. Um, but wow, was it, uh, eye opening. Um, but yes, it, it, it was, it, it's a crazy thing that happened that I think might've formed the justice system to become even stronger. If, if this one individual did it, it's probably him because I mean, you, you know, he escaped twice, right? And yes, uh, I, I, do you remember, what was your impression when, when that was happening real quick? If, uh, you don't want me to be asking. Well, I don't. I don't remember it at the time. Um, I'm understanding it in, in 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 from the historical perspective. Uh, it was so. It's not nationally known. They weren't like Ted Bundy's on the loose or something like that over the national. I don't think. I don't think it was. I think that this was all local, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, local law law enforcement uh, mishaps and. Uh, I don't really think that people understood who Ted Bundy was until he came to trial and books were written about him. And uh, in the earlier days when he would escape those two times, um, obviously 
he escaped and went on to, you know, to commit more murders. Uh, after he escaped in Colorado, he, you know, he was able to go and commit murders in Florida, mm-hmm. which he was originally caught for. Mm-hmm. And um, who knows? Who knows how he was able to find that vulnerability in the environment that allowed him to be able to escape. It it, it it blew my mind. I guess mostly what blew my mind was the fact that they had this 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 monster. They had him, and they didn't have him shackled. They didn't have him in the the highest security. And and this is within like the uh, our within our grandparents' age, within our parents' age. It's not like it's two hundred years ago. You know, it's like the incompetence level is ridiculous. And this is just right around the corner. So, you know, it was in the early eighties. You know. So, uh, or late, late seventies. But, um, I was, I was just like, I, I'm, I'm so glad people are starting to, you know, use DNA. I'm, I'm glad people are, you know, the, the police justice system is actually talking to each other because it seemed really just broken and it wasn't that long ago. Right. Oh my goodness. But, um. Miss Smith, Miss Kim Smith, thank you so much for being on the Lucky Dog Podcast today. This has been uh, an, an incredible story. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Do you do you watch Netflix at all? I do. Yes, I, I've watched a number of series on Netflix. What do you watch? Oh well. Uh, or recently. <laughs> well, I just got finished uh, watching the series that. Um, um, was done about the the infamous uh, case up in in New York of the uh, the two guys who escaped from prison, escaped from oh. Donamara. Oh, I've heard of this Showtime, right? Yeah. Right, that's Showtime. Yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, that was a series that I've watched recently. Uh, very well done. Uh, ben Stiller's first foray into directing a drama rather than comedy. Uh, very well done. And. Uh, Patricia Arquette won a Golden Globe for her performance. She was amazing. Uh, so I do watch series. I'm watching Victoria on PBS. Okay, okay. <laughs> very, very different from the Ted Bundy documentary. <laughs> you know, um, still just as entertaining. Still, you know, yes, the twist yes. and the turns. Yeah, I like series. I watched the, the Menendez Brothers series last year. Um, I, you know, I like the stories about law enforcement and crime. And uh, as I said before, I'm a, an avid student of behavior and of, of society. And uh, these uh, situations to me always fascinate me from the standpoint of people's motivations and then, you know, eventually how, the, how they're caught and uh, what becomes of them. Well, uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on today, and uh, I'll be sure to check out Escape from uh, Dim- Dinamora? Dina who? Dinamora. Dinamora, okay. I, I, I've heard good things about it, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking for uh, Ben Stiller's uh, drama debut, I guess. <laughs> um, but um, thank you for coming on again. Again, this is the Lucky Dog Podcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, concerns. And take it easy. Just want to ask you, Lucky Dog. So, is how did you choose Lucky Dog? Uh, let me see. Um, it kind of rolls off the tongue. I wanted it to be non-offensive. I didn't want it to be, uh, you know, 
TV, movies, media related. Like I wanted it to be a name that could relate to almost anything, even though we mm-hmm. do pretty. I pretty much cover just mostly TVs, movies, media, um, you know, that type of thing. But it's it's. I think I watched a documentary uh, a year ago that said Hello Kitty was chosen because uh, it was the no- most non-offensive animal, and so <laughs> the dog was number two. <laughs> So well, I, I think I kept that somewhere in my mind when I was well, <laughs> making I thought, it. I thought maybe you wanted me on your podcast, you know, Lucky Dog, because I was a lucky dog oh. and I escaped dead. <laughs> I should I should have I worked that in. I definitely should have uh, worked. That's okay. <laughs> 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 sense of humor. That's just maybe it was a little bit darker than I was expecting, but I'll be sure to hit that <laughs> next time. <laughs> 